Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. England are relegated. Full Foden signs on, plus much more. As today, joining myself, Matt Froelich, is Dan Burke. Hello, Matt. How's it going? It's going very well, mate. Just us two today. Have you yeah. uh, have you had enough of the international break? Are we all ready uh, to get yeah. back into football? Absolutely, yeah. I'm going to the Manchester Derby on Sunday next week. Right. So I've, I've downloaded my e-ticket today. I'm, I'm already getting getting pumped for it, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to preview all of the weekend's football on Thursday. Myself, Dan, and probably one other guest as well. Um, let's try and stick to the international football, whatever else the international break is throwing up this week. Uh, starting off with England, who, who face relegation. And that's just... From straight off the bat, seems something ridiculous to say that England have been relegated. If you'd have said that ten years ago to any football fan, it would have sounded like a load of nonsense. Um, but yeah, with five games played, zero wins, there is no way of them getting out of fourth spot and being relegated to the. Is it the nations group B? I think it's league. I think it's called League B, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. League B three. Yeah. B, uh, league, I don't know. Yeah. Basically, next time there's international break comes around, they'll still be playing football matches. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Um, obviously, there was a 1-0 loss on Friday night against Italy. Uh, I also played a football match at the same time. And my, dad's, my dad honestly texted me afterwards going, it's probably more exciting than watching the England game. <laughs> now, either that says something about the stunning quality of my amateur football but probably says more about the lack of quality and what Gareth yeah. Southgate is putting together. Um, I've got a question, and it is to do with the change in the England squad. If Southgate isn't there, do these players suddenly change and become better? Like, where's it going to come from? I mean, there's no question of the talent in the squad, is there? That's the, the problem with England, is, is you're kind of wondering why they're playing so kind of un, unambitiously and so unexpansively and so safe really it's, yeah. it seems very I, I read a good description of it over the weekend where someone says it reminds them I mean you probably know this better than anyone Matt of Jose Mourinho's Tottenham where the system seems geared towards more of its weaker players than the, the stronger players than the more exciting players you know a team with you know Phil Foden Bukayo Saka Jaden Sancho Harry Kane Jack Grealish you know you can you can reel off the names all day can't mm. you of quality that's in that England squad shouldn't be playing so conservatively I don't think and that's the, that's the problem that I've had with Southgate for a while you know even and even during the Euros, they did really well, England, and it feels you know, harsh to be too critical considering they were essentially a penalty kick away from a first piece of silverware in a generation and all that kind of thing. But just the way they were playing didn't inspire me with confidence, really. And I think the way, it, the, way the final of that tournament went showed that like they didn't really know how to handle a game like that. The system wasn't really built for it. They they kind of went one nil up too early and then almost got a bit scared, it seems. And that, that's yeah. the way that England play. They play with a bit of fear, it seems, of, of like, oh, we'll just try and grind this out. And I don't know, I'm thinking England fans at this point, what do they want more? Do they want to win something or do they want to play good football? I mean, it's not impossible to have both, is it really? And, <laughs> and you would hope that a coach would come along and be able to deliver both. I think I more than anything, a trophy is probably what people would want, wouldn't they? But... The fact that he came so close to winning one and then hasn't won it, it kind of thinks like it's time to, to change that and try with someone else, try a different direction maybe. Yeah, I think going one step further always seems like it's obviously just one step, but it's so massive. And to recover from that sort of, uh, that defeat in the way they did in the final. And yeah, we've seen it. We're, what, a year and a bit on um, mm. from, from the Euros final when it looks like England haven't recovered. We spoke about Liverpool. They've regressed, if anything, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, I, but my, 
my wonder is that I know there's obviously tactical ideas behind it and there's, you know, the manager laying out best played, best laid plans and, and all this kind of stuff. But at some point, does it not fall on the players too? I mean, these players play in this system. A lot of them play in back threes for their clubs. Um, and to not score a goal from open play, I think, is it in the five <laughs> games they haven't scored a goal from open play? It's Harry Kane's penalty, I think, was the only yeah. one, wasn't it? Yeah, Harry yeah. Kane. Sure, I mean, Germany, surely yeah. someone's got to do better than that. I mean, over five matches, you've got... I'm going to have to do the maths really quickly here. 450 minutes, like give or take. <laughs> that was with, good fast with, maths to be fair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with some added time, 450 minutes on a football pitch, regardless of, of whatever Southgate says or does or the tactics. We talk about talented players, which I'm with you. I'm with you on that. And that England have some brilliant players. How is it they just haven't found the back of the net? Even by chance, even, you know, one in off your arse or, you know, an own goal, something. Surely yeah. that says a bit more than just Southgate's the problem. I mean, that's the question I think comes up whenever a, a manager's having a, a, a difficult time of it. You kind of think, well, why can't the players take a bit more responsibility? Is it all down to the manager or is it a, a case that these players aren't playing with a lot of confidence or aren't playing well, basically? And I think there's a bit of all of that going on with England for sure. I think, you know, going back to like, like, like we were talking about with the Euros, I think like even when they beat Germany in the Euros, I remember sort of complaining to my mates afterwards thinking like, they're going to get beat playing like that eventually. You can't play that safe all the time. You have to be a bit brave sometimes. You have to show a bit of bravery. And I think with England, they've got to the point where they've sort of gone past that point now. It's like they need to actually maybe just change things now. And, and I don't think it's going to happen before the World Cup. I, I think, you know, Southgate is a is a good guy who's done a good job, you know, and, and kind of steadied the ship for England, you know, having taken it over in difficult circumstances with Sam Allardyce lasting five minutes before he lost his job. You know, it's been a it's been a strange time in, in the sort of history of the England national team that Southgate has presided over and a successful time compared to, you know, a lot of the previous mm. regimes. But I just feel like, as we say in club football a lot, I think he's kind of taken them as far as he can. I think he's very limited as a coach, um, very limited in his kind of scope. And I don't know if you're, you know, any of those England players, are you inspired or motivated by the name Gareth Southgate? Does that come into it as well? Is he Does he have enough sort of cachet? You know, as a, foot, as a footballer, he was, you know, well... His most famous act in a football shirt was missing that penalty for England at the Euros, wasn't it? And, you know, he, he was a pretty average to above average player apart from that. He mm. didn't really win much, he, you know, um, wasn't a superb player. And I don't know if that's the, if maybe players need a bit of gravitas, but then England have tried that in the past as well. You know, they've had the likes of Fabio Capello there, um, Sven Joran Eriksson, you know, better players, you know, better, 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 Roy Hodgson, <laughs> yeah. better squads, you might say, who haven't delivered. So, I don't think it's some sort of like national disease that England suffer from where like they're just doomed to failure all the time. I think they're, they're sort of, they're, they're edging a little bit closer, but I, I think like, I don't think Southgate is going to get them any closer at this point. Do you think... And then might... it'll go with the World Cup and prove me wrong now. Yeah, yeah, you, but, yeah. exactly. Come back to this episode. We'll just laugh yeah. at ourselves for an hour. Do you think maybe they play with two gooder players on a weekly basis? It's, it sounds ridiculous. And I was actually thinking about this the other day that there might be a problem of... I mean, I've got this a little bit in a question further on. There might be a problem of the players playing at such a high level week in, week out in the Premier League that we don't necessarily see in other leagues because of the unbelievable foreign imports that you have. And the Premier League, the Premier League is the best of the best when it comes to players. If we talk about competitiveness or exciting title races, that's an open discussion. You can have your opinions. But in terms of the best players in the world, the majority of them play in the Premier League. 
And I just wonder if that is almost there's too many bystanders, if you get what mm, I mean. Yeah. Like who, who apart from Harry Kane is the star man, is the, the, the carrier, is the talisman in their team on a weekly basis. And even then you can argue he shares that mantle with Hyungmin Son. Mm. Um, who in that team is, you know, the, the best in their squad is a world beater. We, we seem so far away from the, from the Lampard, Gerard, Scholes, Beckham generation that when it comes down to them having to be one of the best and showing up, they're sort of, seems to me like they're looking around for the, for the rest of, you know, their quality players that they're playing on a weekly basis to carry them. Or maybe is that, mm. is that a bit too <laughs> No, um, there's, some, obvious? there's something in it, maybe, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think with England as well is that... that they haven't truly hit the peak as a group as a group yet. I don't think you know. You look at like Saka, Sancho, Foden. You know they're still young men, really. They're, they're still four or five years probably off hitting their peak. And you know, obviously, like someone like Harry Kane is at his peak, if not past it now. And um, you know, Declan Rice is is one who probably would be a good example of somebody who is the star of the show for their club team and then steps up to the England national team. You know, I think he'll be in that team in that starting eleven for England for for many years to come. Um, defensively, I think they they are a little weak. That is that is a bit of a weakness for England. But yeah, I get your point. But I mean, I mean you look around Europe, and there's a lot of so-called big nations or reliable nations being quite unreliable at the moment. You know, Germany was someone that I pointed out as a potential World Cup winner on the podcast the other day. They're not in good form at the moment. You know, we'll see how they get out against uh, England tonight. That'll be quite an interesting game because I don't think either team's in good form. You know, Italy were lauded after the Euros final for the way that they performed, the football they played, the way that they managed that that final and, and won it. They've not qualified for a World Cup since then. You know, Spain are in a bit of a transition phase. Portugal, flat to deceive with all their good players that they've got. You know, the Netherlands have been in and out of tournaments over the past few years. So I think international football is in a bit of a strange place at the moment whereby I think the fixture congestion in the league season isn't helping them. I think a lot of players might have gone away with the national teams for this international break and thought, all right, yeah, it's the away for Nations League. But of all the competitions that I'm involved at the moment, this is the one I'm going to put the least effort in or the least kind of like, you know, they're not, I'm not saying that players don't give 100% when they go on the pitch, but if you were going to give 85% in a game, it would probably be this one, you know, like you don't want to get injured, do you? You want to keep yourself fit and keep yourself in the rhythm. And, you know, I think it's becoming the way that the club game has evolved so much over time, whereby there's so much detail and data and that kind of thing. And when you then put those players into a system whereby they're only seeing the coach once every few months, they're only spending a couple of weeks together. They don't have that kind of synergy and it's noticeable. The drop-off in quality is quite noticeable, I think, compared to the club game. Um, and it's getting more and more noticeable all the time. So I think all of those factors probably feed into why England aren't playing particularly well at the moment, but why a lot of teams aren't playing particularly well at the moment. That is, that is, I was just about to say that. We had a friend of the podcast, Jimmy, wrote in and said, oh, yeah. uh, basically, top players don't give a shit about the Nations League. <laughs> <laughs> Who could blame them? Who could blame and, them? And maybe, maybe that is it. I think you're right with the, the way that the club game has developed. And I don't want to sort of bang on about it because every Tom, Dick and Harry said, oh, money's changing the game, this, that mm. and the other. The truth is that, you know, let's use someone like Harry Kane, for example, Harry Kane, as a footballer, he is worth so much more to Tottenham and Tottenham is worth so much more to him throughout his career uh, as a player uh, than playing for England is. Yeah. And, and and it's a real shame that that's happened, but that's what it's come to. I think the the divide between players, uh, between their clubs and the nation is getting bigger. 
Uh, a lot of players dropping out. You see whatever problem Gareth Southgate has with Trent Alexander-Arnold. He just does not seem to get on with him. He doesn't like him. He doesn't like <laughs> Liverpool. Who knows? But it's not exactly <laughs> going to do anything to endear Liverpool or Liverpool fans who notoriously don't really like the English squad anyway to, to sort of get behind them. And, and players like Trent, who, you know, a Liverpool lad may not then sort of fancy joining up with England or may not be ready to give it his all. I'm not, I'm not saying that he doesn't. I'm sure, you know, he'd love like many players to play for their country at the World Cup. But it just seems that there's a bit of a wedge being driven, especially between Premier League clubs uh, and then going to play for England, which is going to be something very difficult to, uh, to reconcile. Um, touching on Trent there, like I mentioned... Do you think there is a problem or do you think it's just the case that there are one too many fullbacks within this England squad, particularly I mean, right backs as well? Yeah, I mean, he's in pretty awful form at the moment, isn't he? Mm. That's that's a good explanation for why he's not playing at the moment. I still think it's very weird to call him up and then not give him any minutes. But there's at all, lots you know, of players in poor form. That's the problem yeah, yeah, in England's squad. Yeah. I mean, I think Southgate has always had reservations about his defensive ability and I think that that is a problem that has been exposed for him a bit this season for Trent and Liverpool by and large, can get away with having a right-back who doesn't defend a lot, who, who spends a lot of time in the opposition third and is more of a kind of attacking midfielder, whereas I don't think the system that Southgate is playing and his uh, emphasis on safety that we've talked about and uh, and cautiousness, I don't think those those two go together. I don't think Trent fits into that system at all very well. So I couldn't understand why he might think that Rhys James is a better option for him. And, and personally, I think Rhys James is a better right-back than, than Trent. I think, you know, Trent is one of the best passers and crossers of the ball in the world and uh, you know, a, a very, a very good player, a very talented player. But I think if I was Southgate, I would probably have Reese James as my right back at the moment as well. So I couldn't understand that. But yeah, some of the, the the squad management has been a little strange. You know, to to call Ivan Tony up, I think he's in the squad for the Germany game tonight, mm. but he wasn't in the squad the other night. You kind of think, well, give him a chance in both games, see what he can do. That you know, otherwise he's going into the World Cup if you call him up with one cap to his name. Right. It would have only been two otherwise, but I kind of think that's the golden opportunity to have a look at him. Um, Tamori, like not even playing at all, him being called up, you know, he's been in really good form for Milan since he joined them. To call him up and then not use him again, a little odd to me, but I think Southgate is working within the parameters of a very tight schedule as well and only having two games with his players before the World Cup is a bit of an issue for all the international managers out there. But yeah, I think maybe the... Normally, these games that we played this week might have been friendlies and that might have been allowed for a bit more experimentation. But because it has this overarching banner of the Nations League and the threat of relegation and all that kind of thing, maybe they're trying to take it a bit more seriously, which I don't know whether that is the best thing for England at this point, really. Maybe they need a bit more ex- experimentation. I mean, this is obviously something that every international manager comes across and the fact they don't have much time. But at this point, is experimentation going to actually do anything massive no i mean I, he shouldn't, there's nothing he shouldn't already know i guess at the yeah. same time is the uh, yeah this is what i mean like if you're experimenting you know sit what are we eight weeks before world cup starts you should probably have an idea about who's <laughs> going into your opening game by now and it sets a bit of a i don't know it sets a bit of a low standard i guess for the for the the next eight weeks because to be honest you're not going to bring in a whole bunch of new players who don't know the way that southgate plays mm. before world cup that seems a bit suicidal but on the flip side, that also guarantees that, you know, his his tried and trusted, his Maguires, his Pickfords, his um his Hendersons, whoever else, um, when he's not injured, are almost guaranteed a spot on the plane, regardless of how they play mm. within the next eight weeks. Yeah. Um 
so it is, is a bit of a, a, a difficult situation. My th- my thought always was, could you not have a way or a system that the the coach of the best team, obviously they'd have to agree to it, or the style of the that makes up the majority of the squad, everyone plays that style like in in, in the best way. In an ideal, you know, situation, you'd have England as a country play this style of football. When everyone comes to international level, they know exactly how to play. But would it not suit to maybe sort of say, you know what, Guardiola City play the best football. We've got quite a few Manchester City players in the squad. Maybe we try and play like that and the players will obviously respect it. Or do you think it's a bit too difficult to try and force everyone to play just like Man City do if they haven't got the players? Yeah, maybe. I mean... Um, I, I mean, Spain have certainly done that in the past. That was why they won the, those three tournaments in a row, wasn't yeah, it? Exactly. And, uh, you know, Germany had a similar thing around the time that they won the last World Cup. And you, you do certainly see uh, national teams taking inspiration from club teams. Like, And I think Southgate has taken a bit of inspiration from Guardiola's City and probably from Klopp's Liverpool and probably a few other teams. I think you, ha- you do see a bit of that in England's play. Um, you know, they started. Well, I think what the, the first World Cup that Southgate took them to in 2018, there was they were playing like a back five at that point, weren't they? So mm. they've kind of evolved a little bit over time. Uh, it's just kind of known what the next step in that evolutionary process is for England. I don't think Southgate has worked that out yet, really. I don't think he's kind of like taken any kind of inspiration that's been particularly useful for his team overall. Like, I think that was the, the last Euros was kind of the natural end point for him as a coach. I keep coming back to this. I know I'm like, I'm, mm. like I've demanded him to be sacked immediately, <laughs> but it, it just seems like it, I, I can't really see how England like evolve again, really under Southgate. I think that's it. I think we've seen the best that it's going to get. And like I said, they could well prove me wrong by going to Qatar and winning the World Cup this, this, uh, this year. But Looking at the way they're playing at the moment, it, it doesn't look great, does it? <laughs> English football fans are so fickle that if they went and won the World Cup, people would still complain. <laughs> Probably, people yeah. would still say, oh, yeah, we won it, but we won it playing poorly. Or we mm. won it this, that, and the other. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't give a rat's ass if England won the World Cup playing poorly. Uh, we could also, by the way, this is being filmed on Monday afternoon, so we could look stupid as soon as tomorrow if they go and turn yeah, Germany yeah. over. Wouldn't be the first time, Matt. Yeah, would not be the first time. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Uh, right, okay, in that case, I'll throw it back to you. Let's say Southgate is sacked after an atrocious defeat to Germany and they decide to make a, a Sean Dyche-esque call by getting rid of him, hoping for a new manager bounce for a World Cup. Um, <laughs> who comes in? And don't say Sean Dyche. <laughs> who goes in two, for the World Cup? Two words, four syllables. Kevin Keegan. <laughs> He'd get this team playing fucking brilliant football. They probably... They'd probably concede about eight goals a game, but it'd be... Give him another chance, I say. He never got a World Cup last time, did he? Give him another chance. I thought you were going to go Thomas Tuchel, and I was like, yeah, actually, that's not a bad <laughs> well, idea. Well, actually, that's a, good, that's a good shout, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, forget the Keegan idea. We'll go straight to Tuchel instead. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to sack him, are they, surely? I think Southgate will I, get I highly doubt at, least, at least this World Cup to have another crack at it, and then maybe they'll make a change after that if it goes goes poorly, or even if it goes quite well. I mean... What what would be enough to keep? Would Southgate have to win the World Cup to keep his job? Do you think? That that's the thing. If you've got to a semi final, then you've lost a final. There's only one more step, and a- a- anything bar winning it is technically a regression on the last time, right? So, obviously, given the fact the World Cup, there's, you know, there's there's more there's more high quality teams than the Euros. You'd probably say Sakim sounds a bit harsh, like he didn't achieve what England mm. wanted, which is obviously to win a World Cup. But I think there might be a mutual sort of you know, I've taken yeah. this as far as I can. Yeah. Um, the England team's been great, but 
let's part ways here. I mean, it's an interesting one with him. Like the reverse of that question is like, who should England get as the the next manager when yeah. Southgate goes? I mean, it's a difficult one because like international football is a bit of a dead duck for managers now. Really, they don't really. It's it's not like a big job, is it? Really, like it, it's kind of the 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 B league managers that are taking those jobs now. You know, you think like Graham Potter have been touted for the England job for a while, having been at Brighton, then. England would have been a step up for him, mm. but is England a step up for him now? Is it Chelsea? I, I would say it's probably a sideways step at best. It it feels like it's a sort of um, what's 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 the word? Sort of like the end of a career, the curtain yeah, call yeah. for most yeah. managers. Yeah, I'm going to dominate the club game and win Champions League, this, that, and the other, and finally, when I'm old, you know, I'll work. What is it? Once once every couple of months, um, send out an England team, and then. Yeah, have, have, a, have a tournament or two and that's about it. You're right. It doesn't seem like you can work your way up because I think a lot of managers, I'm trying to think off the top of my head now, a lot of managers who go to England inevitably fail as they have done certainly in our lifetime in the last 20, 30 years. How do you recover from that afterwards? <laughs> yeah. If you're someone like Tuchel or Pochettino now and you're looking to get back in at the top level of the club game, you know, Champions League challenges, whatever. If you fail with England... Where are you going to go from there? That's it. That was going to be my next question. Like when Southgate leaves England, whenever that is, what tier of club is he looking at to yeah. for, for his next job? I mean, th- there's been sort of rumours over time that United might be interested in Manchester United. Oh. Like, you know, when, when Solskjaer was sacked and that kind of thing, like he's not good enough for that, for, for what they want, I don't think really. I don't think he's it, shown that. It feels like almost you can't step from international into club, but you can step from club into international. It's like, yeah. all right, you've worked two days a week you've got the ability to work five. But if you work five days a week, you can't then just go to working two. Yeah. You, just, you can't take, you can't take, sorry, the other way around. You can't make the, uh, you can't make the step up. It seems like you haven't yeah. quite got the capabilities for this. I mean, if, if I was at the FA, I would be doing whatever I could to kind of butter Guardiola up. Like, you know, I don't know whether, when he's going to leave City. Mm. His contract is up at the end of this season. The rumour is that he's going to sign another one um, whenever that expires. Like, I think he would definitely like to have a go at international job somewhere. And he likes England, he likes English football now. So, you know, I'll be sending him a basket of fruit every week yeah. or something and saying, don't forget us, Pep, we'll uh, we'll always have a job for you at the at the England team. Like, so who knows, that could be uh, an interesting one. But then, like, I, don't, I would love to see how Guardiola would do in that job, whether he would actually make a success of it, whether he would get them playing that good football. Because I think his job relies so much on being on the training pitch with his players every day and, you know, drilling it into them. And I don't and think... And having the players. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But they, well, maybe he'd pick mostly Manchester City players that were used to his <laughs> tactics. Who knows? Maybe, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, lastly on England, I'm going to I'm gonna throw you an 11 here that's come from Bayo Akinfenwa, who everybody <laughs> loves. Obviously, notorious <laughs> Liverpool fan as well. So the other day he was on TalkSport, I believe, and he gave who, who he would be, who would be in his starting 11 for the first game against Iran in the World Cup, right? Going to see what you think of this. So in goal, Jordan Pickford. Seems reasonable enough. Yeah. A back four of Trent at right back, Eric Dyer and Fakaya Tomori, and Kyle Walker at left back. Okay. So not only has he gone for a back four, but he's gone for Walker, a man notoriously poor with his left foot. <laughs> um, as a left back? Yeah. I'm not no, entirely sure not for about me. that. Not for me. Um, and then he's gone for a diamond in midfield. So he's got Jordan Henderson at the base. Jude Bellingham and Phil Foden as the two central midfielders and then Raheem Sterling at the tip of a diamond. Right. Which, uh, if you're playing FIFA, maybe. <laughs> um, uh, Phil Foden as a 
left-sided central midfielder. I mean, I'd have, I'd have Declan Rice in there over Henderson yeah. for the start. Yeah, I'd definitely have Declan Rice. Um, Bellingham, fine. Yeah. I'm not sure about Foden in that position. Foden could play there, mid. but... No, he, he could play there, I think, but I wouldn't be... That wouldn't be where I would put him. Mm. And Raheem Sterling is the number 10. We've seen him through the middle before, to be fair, but not in a diamond. Mm. As a number 10 with players out wide to interchange with. Yeah. And then who's the front two? The front two's Kane and Tony. Okay. I don't know, Kane. I I, I don't know if two strikers would work either, really, if Kane and Tony would sort of link up a dovetail quite well. I I think they're quite similar in terms of being that kind of hold up number nine player, Mm. aren't they, a little bit? And I I think they would kind of cancel each other out a bit there. And I think the bizarre thing from that is, firstly, Kane dropping deep means he would run into Sterling. And secondly, when you play a diamond or play a narrow formation, your width notoriously comes from your fullbacks. So having brilliant width and getting the ball out wide to Carl Walker, who then has to cut back inside onto his right foot every time, seems very <laughs> counterproductive as well. Yeah, I'd love so, to know um, the thinking behind that one. That yeah. is very weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, honestly. Bayo, if you're listening to this, get on the podcast and uh, we have to have you explaining yourself for that one. Is left back a bit of a problem for England, though? Because. Um, yeah, Shaw sure, like Chilwell ben, injured. Ben out Chilwell is is the option there, isn't he? Because I, I think Shaw's like, last tournament was yeah. probably the Euros. I can't see him being a starter at another tournament for England so Trippier I guess Trippier is the answer yeah again he's right footed though isn't he primarily so yeah but he's got a very very good cross on him I think obviously it's annoying that a player has to cut inside it makes it very predictable to defend but if he does his his crossing you know is far better than the likes of Carl Walker Chilwell and Shaw probably all put together mm. yeah so I think that is a, a little bit of a bizarre one. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe the Diamond's making a comeback after, yeah. what was it, Euro 2016 with Hodgson? <laughs> yeah. that Paul that Daniel story job. Yeah. <laughs> that was my point earlier about playing the way that the best team in the league do or mm. a system that a lot of players are familiar with. Because I remember when England went to the Euros in 2016, I think they had five England uh, Tottenham players in the squad. I believe it was Walker, Rose, Dyer, Ali, Kane. Um, and I'm not saying England should have played like Tottenham to, to win. But they played a diamond formation under Roy Hodgson. A tactic that not one of the 20 <laughs> Premier League teams, not one of the 26-man England squad had played that season. So after a whole campaign, Hodgson brought them in 10 days before the start of the Euros and went, we're going to play something completely new. Yeah, like and it's old, no it's old fashioned, and people worked yeah. it out decades ago. But yeah, we're yeah. gonna do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no wonder they lost to Iceland at the last sixteen. I know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of other nonsense flying around. And by nonsense, I mean just general non-international footballing news. <laughs> um, we were talking about Phil Foden a little bit earlier. Dan, there is a new deal on the table for him apparently, um, which almost I haven't really done the maths as well as I did earlier. Triples, triple and a halves, if that's a word. Um, his deal from around £65,000 a week to £225,000 per week. Uh, a six-year deal for the 22-year-old. Is he worth the money? I feel like I'm doing a bit of a higher or lower. <laughs> higher or lower, Dan? Well, I mean, in, in comparison to kind of the players around him and, you know, what they're, what they're earning and his stature and his quality, then I would say, yeah, and the fact that City aren't, you know, exactly counting the pennies, are they? They can, they can afford to pay high salaries. They can afford to keep players at the club. And and that's why a lot of players want to stay at City, I think, because the money's good, the football's good, and everything's good, really. So that's why they've, they've done so well to keep hold of everyone. I mean, the thing with Foden is, I think he probably is undervalued in terms of his salary at the moment. And 
he's never really complained about it publicly as far as I know or, or made any sort of inclination that he wants to leave. You know, he's a boyhood City fan, come through the academy, has said that he wants to spend his whole career at City. That can change, of course. And I guess City are well, are getting tied down and uh, make sure he's uh, not able to leave on a free transfer or anything like that because that could, that could be pretty disastrous at some point. But... I mean, I'm delighted that he's going to stay. It's not like anything that... It wasn't keeping me awake at night anyway, but, you know, <laughs> just to have that contract signed and for him to be there and to him to, for him to really feel valued as one of the main players, because that's what he is now. You know, he came through and there was a lot of talk about Foden, about whether he was going to get the minutes under Guardiola, whether Guardiola was going to use him properly, whether they were wasting his talent, should he go alone and all this kind of thing. And Guardiola used him perfectly in the end. He just sort of drip-fed him minutes built it up and built it up. And I think he started every Premier League game for City this season now. So again, shows you how highly he's valued. So yeah, keep him. Do you think this is a big statement from City? Because with all that money does come the temptation to go and buy the next best player, to mm. constantly dip into the transfer market. But with Foden, it's sort of whichever position you think is his best, they're effectively saying, we don't need to buy this position for mm. another six years at least. And is that yeah, something I mean, that's going to stick? I think so. I think. I mean, I think he's genuinely brilliant. Like, I think he's world-class already at 22. I think he has been for a couple of years. I think he just, you know, he's, he's had little dips in form now and again, but mostly he's been very consistent. And I think he's only going to get better. And I think City would be wise to sort of build the team around him for the foreseeable future, really, and keep playing him. And mm. maybe it sends a message to other kind of youth players as well that, look, if you play your cards right, then... You could end up like this boy as, as one of the first names on the team sheet, earning really good money. You know, you don't have to go to Germany necessarily. You know, that was the, the thing with, with Foden as well. Like the example with Jaden Sancho, oh, look, he's gone to Dortmund. He's done really well there. What's yeah. Foden doing rotting on City's bench? It's like, no, hang on, if you're patient, then you can stay and you can make a good... He's good the poster boy. Here. He's the poster exactly, boy yeah, for the yeah. pathway into, into the City team. Yeah, yeah I, I I would echo everything I see of him. I love... I just, mm. just think it's such a phenomenal. I always said it. He's the least English English footballer I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just nothing about him screams sort of nineties brute. Yeah, um, and England haven't brought the best out of him yet. I don't think. Yeah. When he plays for England. He plays within himself a little bit. So that's a that's a challenge that Southgate needs to find a solution to. I think maybe he could be the key. Maybe this could be the mm. tournament, the World Cup. Foden comes to life. Yeah, save Southgate's so. job. Who knows? Uh, moving on to the other half of Manchester, and I, I found this one quite funny, that Eric Cantona has said that he wants to head the club's footballing operations as the president of football. Uh, for those of you listeners who listened to every episode, last time we discussed uh, the want or the need of a director of football. So what the fuck is a president of football? <laughs> uh, please explain. You can't just come in and say a role, or maybe you can. I, don't know. I think What's Cantona just wants to be known as the president of something, yeah. doesn't he, basically? That's, his, uh, that's what it's all been building towards, his post-football career is all, I want to be the president of France. No, I'll be the president of Man United then, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, what, bizarre. Even if we're talking about like a, a sort of bog-standard director of football role, like what qualifies Cantona for that role? The fact that he was a good player 30 years ago? Yeah, that, that that's also the thing that like you'd... You'd imagine you'd have to have some sort of qualifications that go by yeah. when people walk into a room. They go, "Oh my God, it's Cantona! We'll do whatever." He's had he no says. coaching career. He's got yeah. no, you know, he's not got his UEFA B license or anything like that. He's who knows what his knowledge of the current game is even like, really. Mm. Whether he kind of knows, you know, identifying emerging talent in France or wherever. Whether he's even paying much attention or whether he's, uh, 
you know, just being a bit bit weird and Eric Cantona like, which you know, I like Eric Cantona. Don't get me wrong. For, yeah. For an ex, for an ex United player, I, I I do actually quite like him, but um, I think United will be quite wise to steer clear of him and just keep him as that kind of uh, legend of the club. legend. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently he met Ed Woodward a few times um, and said <laughs> they didn't accept it. They didn't want me. They didn't want yeah. me. Um, and he said he wants the fans to know that he gave United the opportunity to succeed by becoming their president of football when they didn't want it. I mean, it's- to be a fly on the wall in that meeting would have been fantastic, wouldn't it? Let's be honest, but yeah. <laughs> Just sounds a bit... Uh, I can understand their reservations. <laughs> yeah, a, a bit egotistical. He said, um, apparently he said in this interview that the vital nature he has is of someone who knows about football. Um <laughs> What's funny I find about this is that it, it, imagine if you went into this interview was like you need someone who knows about football. You, you're you're basically insulting the whole United board by suggesting they don't know. <laughs> like he's going into Ed Woodward and going, "Listen, mate, you haven't got a Scooby. Let me in. I'm, yeah. I'm the guy." Like I'm not sure that's the best way to go about I mean, I it. I don't think Cantona's the only person who thought that about Woodward as well, is he? To be yeah, fair, true. so it's pretty common. Uh, even Ed Woodward probably agrees with it at this point, but. Yeah. I'd really love like the idea of Cantona doing his research and putting together a PowerPoint presentation for Ed Woodward, like about why he'd be the best president. And it's just pictures of him in a gown and a crown. <laughs> and that's it, just looking presidential. That's all it is. Yeah, I would um It's very it's very difficult to sort of pinpoint what these roles are, but sporting sporting director, director of football, this, that and the other, director of football operations maybe, but president um, mm. I'm not so sure. I'm not quite yeah. uh, not quite on board with that one. Sorry, Eric. Good luck uh, to him though, because I would love to see it happen. It would be great yeah. content, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Just so the content gives us something to talk about. Yeah. Uh, next up, though, we'll go to a few of your questions. We actually had these from the other day, but we didn't quite get to them. Uh, myself, Dan, and Joel. Too much waffling on Thursday, yeah. so uh, we did get to them. But there was a few sent in. Um, one of them was, "Would you play for your club's rivals? <laughs> so, would you play for United?" Maybe if, if Cantona yeah. was president, would you play? I, I was thinking about this the other week, actually, the, you know, the Merseyside derby, you know, mm. Connor Cody, famously uh, a Liverpool fan, f- comes from a family of Liverpool fans, whatever. Um, and that had been talked about a lot during his time at Wolves. Then he goes to Everton, which is a little bit strange anyway, but, you know, he needed to get out of Wolves and Everton offered him a good opportunity. And then the way that he scored against Liverpool in the derby, and all right, he's disallowed. And then went crazy. You know, we didn't do the whole, you know, I, I mean, I think... It's probably his own fans would have turned on him if he had done the non-celebration thing. So he kind of had to celebrate, but it must be a weird feeling. Like, you, you know, you must maintain some kind of level of support for a club or within your own family or, you know, some kind of identity with that club for all that time. And then you score a goal against them all of a sudden and it's like all that goes out the window and suddenly you're going crazy. So in answer to the question, I mean, I'm not a professional footballer, so... I'll never be confronted with this dilemma, thankfully. I would like to say that I would not play for Man United. I would like to say that, nah, no chance. I would just turn them down. And, you know, if I was a good player and I had my pick of clubs and I had other clubs in for me, I would definitely go somewhere else. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe like there comes a situation whereby that's my only option and I kind of have to go there or something. And and yeah, to score against City in a derby and then do the non-celebration thing, I think would get me in a lot of trouble. So I think it would depend almost when you join that club. Because you've seen a, a lot of players who have notoriously been, you know, fans of a different club from from a younger age. And if you go into a system early on, or if you're offered the opportunity to join an academy, you don't say no as a kid, right? It, it's yeah. a chance for a footballing education. It's a chance to learn and basically become a professional footballer. And then you see what happens. It's probably a bit different once you're a professional and then the offer's on the table. 
Yeah. Because then it's kind of like, ah, oh, I've spent my adulthood, you know, adoring this club, this, that, and the other. Um, Jermaine Defoe's a good example, being an Arsenal fan as a kid. But yeah. Going to Tottenham, um, everyone said that Harry Kane was an Arsenal fan and he was there for a year. <laughs> even though his family are Spurs fans and he was there for a year I think when he was seven or eight or something like that mm. maybe ten years old um, but yeah as a ten year old if Arsenal say hey here's a chance to develop at our you know our academy with his coaches and his facilities I'm sure even Harry Kane's dad was like whisper yeah. yeah go on like this is an unbelievable opportunity the, the academy aspects of it is interesting actually because that happens a lot doesn't it I mean like it's quite funny actually with uh, with Phil Foden, like City went big on the whole, he's a boyhood City fan, we've got photos of yeah. him, you know, as a ball boy and all this kind of thing, isn't that great? Whereas Cole Palmer's like the next Foden, like he's coming through now and they've never said anything about Cole Palmer, Cole Palmer being a City fan. So clearly he was a United fan as a kid and they're just trying to keep that under wraps. But for a young City, United, whatever yeah. fan, to go and play for the Rivals Academy, that's almost more impressive than like making that choice as an adult, as a professional, like, mm. because they've, they've sort of swallowed the pride and gone, well, go on then. That's a good opportunity for me to play football, to be a professional footballer. I'll yeah. go and play for City. That's almost more impressive to me. But like, as a kid, like you would, you would understand if a kid was like, no, no chance am I going to play for them. So, yeah. I think what would kill me the most, if that was ever a thing, would be like, like you said, with Connor Cody, facing my family after something. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just... If, you, if I was playing for Arsenal and scored in a North London derby and celebrated, the, I don't think I could handle the look on my dad's face. I mean, yeah, your dad, your dad would have to go watch you playing for Arsenal and, and cheer for Arsenal, presumably. Yeah, the, that are, is... The, the, were Conor Cody's fan rooting for Everton in that game the other week as Liverpool fans? Yeah, that's... It's oh. a weird thing to think God, about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that, that's the tough thing. I reckon they could do it as a kid if you're in the academy. It's kids football, mm. but yeah, God, that is... That's something, thankfully, that's why I never became a footballer, Dad. I didn't want to put you through yeah. the heartache. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with not being good enough. That's the only reason. Um, yeah. Next up, we've got one. Uh, actually, we were talking about the other day, Pep Guardiola uh, as a brilliant manager. Um, and his reason to interview, I threw this question to you, Dan. He said that managers are overrated. <laughs> Is he right? Is it just a whole bunch of nothing? I, th- I think there's this sort of two answers to that question really there is the thing that we were talking about earlier that like why don't the players just kind of play better <laughs> and you know as, as much tactical tactical instruction as a manager can give you if you know that it's not right and you know that there's a better way then surely your own instincts kick in at some point and you can you know win games this in spite of your manager mm. almost and, and that must happen a lot and I think the flip side of that is that managers probably often uh, take credit for things that they didn't really do, uh, you know, a great deal. You know, Guardiola is the obvious example again, where people always talk about, oh, he's, it's all well and good in winning trophies with City or Bayern Munich or Barcelona. Go to West Brom and prove yourself with lesser <laughs> players and see what you can do. And it's like, as, as daft as that sounds, there is an element of truth to it. I think, like, yeah, obviously, he, he 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 is working within the upper echelons of of the of, of the game, basically, and that is where he excels. And that is why, if you're a top club with a lot of money, you hire him to get results because. There are managers who have, you know, City have hired who haven't got results with all those resources and good players and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think with with him it, that, that it would be interesting to see what he did with a, a sort of lesser group of players at some point in his career. Whether it will actually happen, I don't know. But um, I can't remember where I'm going with this now, basically. But yeah, I think managers are a bit overrated in terms of like the kind of godlike status that they are mm. given sometimes. 
sport Guardi- at the same Guardiola time. at West Brom sounds like some sort of football manager YouTuber's next challenge. Yeah. It'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Yeah. Just I mean, what, what would ha- I know what would happen is he would get them playing really good football and get them performing above the weight. He wouldn't win the Champions League with West Brom unless they got, you know, some big cash injection. Like, we're not expecting that from him, but he would make those players better. He would make that club better. And that's what he does, whatever level he's at. He's made City better as a team, mm-hmm. as a club, in the time that he's been there, even though he's had all those resources that other managers might not have been able to do. That's what separates the elite. It's kind of fine margins, but still. But like, yeah, I, th- I think... Yeah, sometimes we undervalue the role of the players and mm. overvalue the, the role of the managers and all this. I would say, yeah, because the players can, for whatever reason, turn it on or turn it off in games that you would think they should do or they shouldn't do. Um, obviously, a giant killing is the perfect example of that. I mean, mm. if everything was supposed to go to plan, then there would never be an upset. Um, so obviously, players can have good days and bad days. Um, I think with the manager, though, there has to be a case of the proof is in the pudding right, is in the results, is that if it was all that easy and if they weren't that relevant, you just assemble a squad of the best players and they'd win everything. But that never happens. PSG and Man City are a perfect example of that. You can assemble all the best players, but they haven't won the Champions League just yet. Mm. So the manager has to have something something more than just a a passing fancy. Also, you could say that City haven't won the Champions League because Kyle Walker didn't track his man in the final (laughs) against Chelsea. We went 1-0 down and then they just like lost their minds and didn't play well after that. You know, like last season, uh, Cancelo doesn't stop the cross against Real Madrid and they equalise and then it all goes to shit. Like, so those are the things that are happening on the pitch that are outside of a manager's control that he still gets blamed for a lot of the time. So it works both ways, doesn't it? But yeah. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, there's that. And also, can you imagine if a manager actually did sort of go down to, to West Brom? Because <laughs> to, to be fair, on the flip side, by the way, sorry for picking on West Brom. You can add that to the list of <laughs> places that Dan is no longer allowed to go to, um, along with Wales. Didn't want to anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it does technically make sense that Guardiola does the best or, or, or wins the titles while he's at the top. Um, because it's the same with players. Because... Mm. West Brom players aren't going to win the Champions League unless they're at the top. So it's the same things with managers. It'd be it, by saying, yeah, well, Guardiola would do shit with West Brom. It's like, well, yeah, well, lots of players would do shit with West Brom as well because they're not very good. And if they did, <laughs> they'd be at Manchester City. So they, they seem to sort of mirror the careers of of players. Um, and yeah, I don't think I don't think the likes of Guardiola or Tuchel, whoever else. Uh, would be at the top if it was just a game of fortune. But I did think that a lot as a kid. I was always like, the small instances in a game, like, I don't know, a player hits the post instead of scores in the last minute. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, <laughs> manager sacked instead of getting a point and keeping his job. This is but why so. it's going to be really interesting to see how Potter does at Chelsea, actually. It's like it's kind of the reverse of all that, because mm. there, there you're seeing what is on paper a kind of B, C-level manager, essentially, who who has performed... Uh, above, above expectations at a BC level club and has now made that step up to an A level club and where a lot is going to be expected of him and where it's going to be just see if he can transfer that kind of form, tactics, style, whatever you want to call it, over to this new club and see how he succeeds. If he fails, then it'll be like, well, he was never good enough for Chelsea in the first place. What were they thinking? If he succeeds, and it could, it could be a bit of a game changer really that, that more clubs might start taking a punt on managers a bit lower down in the food chain. True, true. Um, we're talking actually a little bit earlier about football manager, <laughs> about some sort of challenge. And uh, 
about football games in general and the new FIFA is out very soon as well. So I had a question from JB who says, what is the best football game ever? I think this is a nice one to end on. A nice little yes. bit of nostalgia for us. Uh, what's your favourite ever, Dan? Well, I'll just caveat this by saying that I've been playing FIFA for about 27 years, 28 years now. Ooh. FIFA 95 was the first one that I ever got my hands on for the Sega Mega Drive and I've been a bit of a, a religious subscriber to it every year. I, you know, the can't get my wallet out quick enough when that game comes out. <laughs> Usually end up feeling really disappointed and upset by it, but then the next year rolls around and, I'm, and they've got me again and I'm, I'm buying, I'm queued up for it again. So um, so I am pretty loyal to FIFA. I would say probably Pro Evolution Soccer 6 is probably the best yeah, one of all time. Legendary, yeah. That's the one when Adriano was just a beast on it and uh, yeah. that was like the most fun to play. But it depends how you, how, you, how you sort of define it really because like if you played that game now, would you enjoy it as much as you did back then? Um, like the new FIFA is going to be yeah. way better than that game. Like that's just objective fact, basically. Yeah, maybe there was just a bit of a, it, it, it was more the, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was more kind of, uh, oh, what's that word? <laughs> I completely forgot nostalgia the word. Or? No, not the nostalgia. When something's like really unique and then you kind of get bored of it after a while. Oh, like a flash in the pan kind of thing, or uh, yeah, sort of. I always forget this <laughs> word. I've had too many German. A phenom- phenomenon. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a phenomenon. Um, <laughs> no, so when something loses its uh, novelty. novelty, that's the hey. word. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was a good game. That I enjoyed yeah. that. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. every week now. As Matt remembers English <laughs> words, there's obviously there was quite a novelty of it. That you know, a new football game, and there was big steps to be made at the mm. beginning. Sort of the difference between FIFA '95 to FIFA 2005 was huge, whereas yeah. the difference from FIFA 13 to FIFA 2023 is big, but not as different. And there's more games on the market to enjoy. But yeah, maybe we're just getting old, and we're not that impressed anymore. Maybe you're. I mean, I, I still am. I still am impressed by it. It's just like when I play FIFA, I want it to be like perfect, like perfect realism. And when it's not, it kind of like shatters that illusion for me. And I'm, I'm not like young and naive enough to like maintain that illusion. I get frustrated when I play it, and it's like that would never happen in a real game, you know? Like that's that's. And I, I, I like playing FIFA like online against people. Yeah. Like that's the best way to play it. But I don't like these kind of like six five seven six games. Like it rewards like. Or not rewards, but like it's too geared towards like a younger audience who yeah. want to score loads of goals. Where I'd love to play like a two-one game against someone, you know, a really tight one where there's not Your that many FIFA's chances. Your FIFA Southgate, that's what yeah. You are. Or just, just it just feels. I just want it to feel realistic. Really, that's yeah. the thing, and it's never going to because it's a computer game. But <laughs> I've never really, you know, after 27 years of playing this game, never really like reconciled with that. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there was a time for me where Pez was a bit better than FIFA. I got to admit mm. they had it. The gameplay seemed a bit more realistic, but I think running alongside it, Football Manager has always always had a bit of a special yeah. place in my heart. I haven't played for quite some time, a few years, but yeah, it's always been well, a favourite. I nearly failed my university degree because of Football Manager, <laughs> so it's like bad for me. I'm like a recovering addict to Football Manager. So <laughs> when was the last time you played? I played. I played like 2015 was the last one, and okay. I, I, it was too much. There was too much detail for me. I know you can play a sort of lighter version of it, can't you? I want to play like all or nothing really. And there was too much like uh, you had to have so many homegrown players in your squad and all this. I was like, fuck this. I haven't got time for this. I, I, I think I went 2019, I think. And that was the first one I had them at seven years. And I remember thinking like a gap of seven years without playing the game. I was like, wow, there's a lot of new features mm. like this. It yeah. was mind blowing. Yeah. There is like the light version you can play on mobile, which is a bit easier, but. 
It's not what I'm in it for, though. I kind of like, yeah, I want to yeah. I want to be properly immersed in it, but I don't really have that much time to immerse myself in it. So I did see uh, uh, to, to round up. I saw a great thing on Twitter from um, from Johnny Sharples. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you saw this, um, and it was amazing. He'd played nine and a half years of a save on Football Manager. Oh. Nine and a half years, five thousand nine hundred real playing matches. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. Nine and a half years, five thousand nine hundred and three matches, three laptops. He said three houses, a USB stick, and a century of seasons. So he played a hundred years into what I assume is Foot Manager two thousand and fourteen or thirteen, yeah. maybe. Um, yeah, and, and you can look it up online, and he has every single winner of the top. I think top six leagues, Champions Leagues, Europa League, World Cup and, and European Championship. Um, <laughs> and you'll be disappointed to know that in the Premier League, the first team not in the top six currently to win it was Huddersfield <laughs> in 2078. Wow. Which I found was amazing. And then West Brom went on a sort of rampage of the, the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> uh, elsewhere, 100 years from now, uh, Celtic won about, I think it's um, 95 of the available 100 titles in Scotland. And uh, uh, elsewhere... That sounds about right, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> elsewhere, there weren't too many shocks apart from the likes of Serbia and Turkey winning the World Cup. Wow. Um, so, which basically shows you football fans that for the next 100 years, football is doomed because yeah. it's going to be the same teams winning all the time. And I'm interested <laughs> to note that they don't have death programmed into the game of football manager. Your manager's yeah, I, just immortal, presumably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your manager could live up to, you know, 300 years, whatever. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a horrible waste of time, doesn't it? Nine years. That, that man has spent nine years of his life playing the same game. But then For we've it. all wasted loads of time on all kinds of things, haven't we? Going to the toilet or sleeping yeah, yeah. or whatever. So is it a waste of time? I don't think it is a waste is of time. Is sleeping actually. or going to the toilet a waste of time? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe. Coming from the man who's bought 27 copies of FIFA. (laughs) And counting. (laughs) And counting. Amazing. I think that's the perfect time to call it there. Um, Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me, as always, Dan. And thank you so much to everyone else listening. Both of us will be back on Thursday previewing, um, by the way, an astonishingly good weekend of football, especially in the Premier League. Spurs, Arsenal and the Manchester Derby. Um, in one weekend so what a welcome back to football that is of course in the meantime you can tweet us at Matt underscore Froelich at Football Dan or at One Football uh, you can also drop us an email with any questions suggestions or feedback you may have the address is podcast at onefootball.com that's all for us for this Monday we'll catch you on Thursday <laughs>